Welcome back to another episode of Important Miscellaneous Talks. I'm your host, Glass Rickrossio. We are changing the world one podcast at a time. And today we have the world-renowned Jaron Scott with us. Please introduce yourself. World-renowned. I love it. I, I got introduced as Top G the other day, and now I'm world-renowned. That is fantastic. I, I consider myself just a normal, nerdy guy. Uh, we were talking on the pre-show a bit. I am a digital marketing consultant. Uh, I do a lot of international brand activations by trade. So I am based in Mexico City. Yo, you 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 live, do you drink Dos Equis? Because you might be the world's most interesting man. <laughs> no, I'm actually not a big drinker, although uh, I, I do partake in the uh, the green quite a bit. It's a little it's a little healthier as long as you can stay away from the munchies. So yeah, I'm not not a huge drinker. But if I if I were a drinker, yeah, I, I definitely do Dos Equis. <laughs> do you, you remember the commercials, the Dos Equis commercials? I sure, I sure do. I've heard that guy in real life is actually not that interesting, but you know, he's an actor. Interesting. Now I want to interview him. Yeah, um, yeah, get, yeah, jot him down, get him on your list. Definitely. Uh, why did you move outside the US? So I have an interesting story. I actually went to school in Mexico years ago. I, I, God, I've been saying 15 years. It's actually 17 years ago now because I'm getting older. Uh, I grew up on a farm in Eastern Washington State, and it was known when I was a kid in my small town that pretty much like anyone from a small town, you kind of just do what the rest of your family does. So I always assumed that I would end up taking over the farm one day. The only problem was that most of our workers were migrant workers that spoke only Spanish or very little English. So uh, from a very young age, I was 15 or 16 years old, and I realized I should probably learn a little bit of Spanish if I want to stick to agriculture. So I had the opportunity to come down here. Uh, I was going to stay here for just six weeks to do an intensive Spanish language course. Mm. Turns out I learned the language really, really quickly. And they actually invited me to enroll as a Mexican student, which saved me a ton of money in tuition. And they also allowed me to play baseball for the university. I wasn't that great of a ball player in high school, but in the private school that I went to here in Mexico, they invited me to try out and give me a spot on the team. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I decided to stay down here a two full years to study, and then I worked down here for a couple of years. Went back to the United States, got into digital marketing, uh, lived in California for quite a while. And then it was actually during COVID where we got locked down to the point where they even closed our damn beaches. And at that point, I was thinking, I'm tired of this. I had worked really hard in California, had multiple jobs, had side gigs, kind of like everyone does in California. You indicated you're in Queens. I'm sure it's the same way that you have to be making some good money to get ahead in those places. You can live well with a decent income, but to get ahead and push the needle forward, it's actually quite difficult in those types of cities. So once we got locked down uh, in California for COVID and I didn't have a job anymore and the rent kept going up, I decided I'm going to get the hell out of here. And I was already thinking of doing the digital nomad thing before two to three years prior, I started watching a guy named Aaron Clary. He's really into the minimalist mindset, just downsizing your life, reducing your expenses as much as possible. So that way you don't necessarily have to work as hard. I did do that for a bit, but turns out it's not fun making not a lot of money, even if you have no expenses. So now I'm in a new chapter of my life where I decided, okay, let's combine all of my strengths. I already, I already know the lay of the land in Mexico. I've lived here before. I know how to get around. I know how to get set up. I know that I can stay on my minimalist budget, but live a very, very high value type lifestyle, or just, I don't want to say playboy type lifestyle, but I can live very well here for very cheap. 
And then in doing so, it frees up a lot of my mental bandwidth to where I can make more money doing my corporate gigs. And then I'm starting to make some money on, on my channel now too. So that was really the primary reason. I wanted to start getting ahead and I want to do it quickly uh, since I, I am getting a bit older now. I'm not in my 20s anymore. How, how old are you? I'm 35. Got you. Are you a baseball fan or you just played the sport? That's a weird one. Someone asked me the other day if I was a football fan too. I was a fan of the sports I played when I played them, but since I haven't played in God, how long has it been? At least 10 years now, 12 years since I since I last picked up a bat or laced up my cleats. I haven't followed them at all. When I go to California, I'll go to a game or when I'm in the States, I'll try to hit up a game, but I usually don't know who anyone is. Now, if you ask me about Ken Griffey Jr. Major League Baseball in the N64 from 1998, I probably still remember half the roster for half those teams. So, uh, so if I'm in the sport, I'm in it. If I'm not, I could really care less. That's funny. The Mariners, they're one of my favorite teams in baseball. I remember the mm -hmm. infamous double Edgar Martinez hit. They had they had a lot of great teams. And their their team is good now. I like Julio Rodriguez. So maybe you should check them out again. I actually grew up outside of Seattle uh, in eastern Washington State on the east side of the Cascade Mountains. So a lot of people don't realize Washington State is not just Seattle-Tacoma. When you cross the mountains, it's kind of like California, too. When you go inland just a little bit, it gets really conservative and really flat and really dry really fast. So it's all agriculture. So being a Seattle fan growing up, uh, Seattle teams always disappoint. They always they always let you think that they're going to make it somewhere. Then they give your hopes up. I remember that one year what they went 116 ball games and then they got swept in the first round of the world series against or not world series, uh playoffs against the white Sox, And that, that was pretty depressing. Seahawks do that too. They'll get to the super bowl and then try to pass on the one when they have Marshawn Lynch. You're just like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> oh boy. Holy cow. What do, what do men struggle with the most in dating? In terms of dating, this is a good question. I probably need to give more thought to this, but just my immediate response would be, I think a lot of guys sell themselves short. I've noticed that as I'm getting better, and I, I'm in a continual improvement process, but as I'm getting better, I've noticed, and I say this to guys all the time too, that your game really gets ahead of you. So, so I'll be going about my day-to-day interactions my day-to-day -day business and then i'll have an interaction with a girl and then in hindsight and it's always hindsight i realize oh okay well this girl that you once thought was out of your league is into you or jaron you missed this subtle sign and i know when i talk to a lot of guys i think they do that too they think that things are not quite possible that they're that they're incapable of achieving whatever their goal set looks like in their dating life and they really hold themselves back i think that's probably the most important thing how does one break out of that mindset of holding yourself back? My advice is you got to get out there and put in the reps. It's like anything, going back to the sports analogy, or uh, I still go to the gym just about every day. I, I miss it today because I've got a, got a buddy in town. We were out exploring. But uh, it's the same with anything. You got to get in your reps. You're, you're going to take some losses. Uh, we were talking about baseball as a baseball player through college. And realistically in baseball if you bat three four three hundred four hundred you're a damn good ball player but that still means you're going to fail a lot more than you're going to succeed and it's really like that in any sport so i think guys need to start looking at it from that mindset and approaching it from that framework that hey i just got to get out there and do it i'm going to get shut down i'm going to fall flat on my face i'm going to have failures but you learn little valuable lessons along the way and the more you do it the more insights you have and then eventually you get to the point where you have your own personal plan put together or your own framework or structure, whatever you want to call it. And then it becomes kind of innate or, or more natural. Of course, there's always room for improvement with anything you do, but you get to the point where you don't have these mental hangups anymore. When 
you encounter a girl and you think to yourself, okay, well, I've been in this situation countless times now. You kind of know what to do at that point. How do you help men make a life worth living and loving? Oh, nice. You did your research. That's my tagline. <laughs> lives worth living and loving. Um, I think the biggest thing is just helping them get out of their own way. Uh, I know for me, that was a big thing in my transformation, if you want to call it that. It was really, I sat down one day and started to do a mental audit of everything going on in my life and even little things. Like I lived in California. I had two cars at one point. And just the stress of thinking, well, I have the truck parked on this side of the street, but Tuesday and Thursday are street, street sweeping days. What side of the street is on? What day is it? Okay, well, I think I'm on the right side of the street. Wake up and there's a $38 ticket. Just those little, little things. And uh, if you really sit down and write them all down or just do a mental checklist, just imagine all the little tiny things you have in your life that just give you a little bit of stress or a little bit of anxiety. So I got to the point with the whole minimalist mindset that I want to get rid of this. I don't only, not only do I want to have two cars, I want to have no cars. I want to have no car payment. I want to have no expenses. I want to uh, not have a lot of stuff. I opened my closet one day and there's a bunch of shit all over the place. And I started tagging everything. And then, okay, well, once I wear this shirt, I'll take the tag off and I'll put it on one side of the closet. Six months later, you realize you're only wearing like 15 or 20% of your wardrobe. So, okay, get rid of the rest of that. And for me, I think that was the the biggest thing is just getting the noise out of my head. Um, I also view the world in a sense that everything in your physical environment is a reflection of your internal state. So I wanted to reduce all of the clutter, all of the noise. One, I was able to achieve peace, but I was also able to start being focused because you don't have to worry about, oh, did I park on the wrong side of the road? Oh, do I have to pay this tab? Oh, where's the ticket? Oh, I, I logged into the online portal. Oh, of course it's California. The online portal's fucked up. So how do I pay this? Am I going to get towed? Am I going to get pulled over and have a warrant? All of these things just disappear when you start downsizing. And it doesn't even have to necessarily be in your physical life. You don't have to go as extreme as I do and get rid of all your stuff. But in terms of the mental energy you allocate to things, start getting rid of that. And I'd like to apply that that framework or that mindset when it comes to the game topic in terms of, am I not good enough? Is she out of my league? Am I, am I too short? I, I hear it. I'm sure you do too. I hear it all the time with guys. I'm too short. I'm not, I don't live in the right place. I don't speak the right language. And there's, there's always a, a multitude of excuses. And when you start getting that negative self-talk out of your head, you realize most girls don't care. They just want a guy that gets it and they can feel your energy. So if you're calm, if you're at peace, if you're cool at your core with yourself, then they'll, they'll vibe on that and it'll make your interactions a lot easier. And really, if the girl is innately attracted to you, it, may, it makes your work a lot easier because you don't have to be over gaming. You don't have to do the shtick or have all sorts of tips or tricks or tactics you can really just be yourself in the moment but it takes a lot of work to get there so i always recommend guys start with start starting start to divorce yourself from the negative self-talk or the negative energy the negative thought trains in your head and see what that does for you it'll it'll clear up a little bit of space what are some of the steps that men can take to eliminate some of that negative self-talk Oh, that's a good one. One thing that I like to do that I recommend to a lot of guys is do um, do a self audit every morning or I call it like an all systems check. So, you know, when you're driving your car and all of a sudden the emergency light comes on and with older cars, it used to be like, oh, no, is my entire engine going to go out? Is this going to be a, an engine and transmission swap? Now with newer cars, it's usually not much. It's like a sensor that's faulty or maybe there's some dust on like a plug or something like that. There's so, so many electronic gadgets and doodads in the new cars. So, I kind of do it like that. I wake up uh, in that moment where I'm still half asleep and half awake. Just and that, my brain does it automatically now. Just run through things. Okay, what's what's on your mind? What's bugging you? What does the day look like? Walk yourself through the activities. Uh, the the crappy things you have to do. Get those done first. That was 
that for me was a big step in starting to take that step forward. And it'll seem monumental at first if you think, uh, for example, when I was younger, I used to be obese. And if you think, oh my God, I have to lose a hundred pounds. Well, that's, that is a mountain of a task. Where do you even start? But if you think, okay, well, let me, let me track this. Let me calculate this. I'm going to lose 1.5 pounds every week and then just focus on the micro goals. Then you can actually do that. And then got to be a little patient, but when you look at life in the longer term, you realize you can do a lot very quickly. I think in the course of the year, I lost something like 80 pounds and then it took another year to lose the last 20. But uh, you know, if you've ever like cut before or bolt or anything like that for sports, the, the closer you get to your goal, the more energy and effort you have to put into it to, to make, to make uh, even the smallest amount of strides. Nice, man. What, what would you say your purpose is and how does one find their purpose? That's a good one. I don't know if I necessarily have my purpose defined yet. And that used to really bother me in terms of thinking, well, why am I put on this planet? What does my value add? Uh, one thing that I started telling myself that I don't necessarily know what that looks like, but I know that the world needs to be a slightly better place for me having been in it. And then I held that as one of my core principles. So that really started helping. Um, I'm still not really exactly sure what a clearly defined purpose looks like. And I don't even know if that's necessarily the answer, but I know that I'm going in the right direction because the more I head down that avenue, it seems like at first you have to start pushing towards it. And then it seems like you get to a point where it starts act actively pulling you towards it, where opportunities mm -hmm. start presenting themselves, doors start opening, uh, things that you once willed all of a sudden just pop up in your in your physical world. And that to me lets me know that, OK, I'm on to something. I'm heading down the right path, at least. So um, I don't know if I ever will truly find my purpose, but it's more of just a feeling in your gut, something that drives you forward, that makes you spring out of bed every day, just knowing, OK, the answer is not clear yet, but I have faith and I have trust that I'm heading in the right direction and I'll, I'll keep putting the effort into doing so. Yeah, I think I think um, you you definitely are headed in the, the right direction. And I think you might need to take some time and just really like write it down and and yeah. to really look at it type of thing you know what I mean yeah it's one of those things where if you hold the question long enough in your mind the answers will start presenting themselves to you so the details are starting to come in but I don't have a clear composite image yet uh, there's still some uh there's still some clarity or some muddy areas that need to be worked out a little bit got you so how does one balance their social life their work life and their dating life that is a good question. So I have been in a mini monk mode these last couple of months. I'm in between two fairly large corporate contracts. I have another one starting in a few weeks. So I've ju I've just been ha having my head down grinding, trying to figure out little nits and tricks that I can do to get my channel to the next level, uh, trying to get all my workflows in place, trying to get a plan in place for when I'm, when I'm officially on board with this new corporate client. Um, it's actually not a new corporate client. It's a company I've worked for forever, but completely new role, new division, new scope of work. So um, I'm really focusing on building the framework upon which I will scale that operation once my contract starts with them. So um, I, I vacillate a bit. At times, I'm really, really focused on one area of my life when I identified, okay, here's a weak area. Um, I like to have a baseline. So I established a pretty nice financial baseline for myself. Being in between contracts, I took a month where it still did pretty well uh, comparatively compared to, to people that are stuck in your nine to five corporate type gigs. But for me personally, once I achieve a level, it's I don't like going below that. So uh, I put all my eggs in one basket. I put all my focus in that area to get it back at baseline or a bit above baseline, uh, whatever I've established for myself. So um, I'll do that now. It's more on the professional front, the financial front. Years ago, uh, when I started my journey into improving my dating life, it was more on the, okay, I got to figure out this 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 girl front. Uh, 
when I was obese, okay, I need to lose a lot of weight. How do we do this? And that was my focus. And then once you get it figured out, I'm a systems theory type guy. So I like to build structures or systems into my life. Uh, I have a buddy here. He always jokes like, dude, I think you're OCD. I'm like, I don't care. It works for me. Just, just have routines and have structures in place to where you really don't have to think about it anymore. And that, that goes back to the minimalist mindset where I don't want to wake up every day and have to have to go through the process of trying to figure out what I need to do in this area of my life. I just find something that works and then I stick to it. And then if other areas of my life level up or they upgrade, and then I realize, well, this one area that used to be working really well for me is now lagging behind comparatively, then I'll shift my focus to that. So I'm more of a systems guy. Um, I identify different pillars or different verticals in my life. And then as part of my daily audits, I go through how am I emotionally, how am I physically, how am I spiritually, how am I mentally, how am I financially, how am I my relationship? Uh, vertical. And then usually I like to try to keep all those balanced, but the, let's be honest, life happens. Sometimes one goes way up. Sometimes one goes way down. Um, and it's really just about keeping that equilibrium between all of them. What's the most important piece of advice you would give to someone when it comes to finances? You know what? I'm actually not much of a financial expert uh, in terms of investing or anything. I do pretty well, but I usually just stick to index funds, allocate whatever the employer matches to a 401k if I'm on a W-2 type contract or they have that available. But I know for me personally, uh, the biggest things are, and these are just basic personal finance tips, um, track your expenses, know what your budget is, know, know, where, know where your dollars in are coming from, know where your dollars out are going, what they're going to. Uh, realize that a lot of things you think will make you happy in the short term, like uh, a new car that costs uh, half of your annual salary. I did that when I was young. It's really cool for the first couple of weeks. And after that, once that car payment hits, that insurance payment hits, and then the gas hits and you factor it all in, you're like, oh, I'm spending $1,000 a month for an automobile that I drive maybe 20 miles a week. Uh, realize that will make you happy in the long term. And I think the biggest thing for me, which I always knew this as a kid, so I grew up in a pretty conservative area. My, my grandparents are real conservative and they instilled these values in me. But, uh, oh, these damn credit companies, hey, we'll give you a loan. You're like, okay, yeah, you know, you just kick the can down the road financially. Oh, I'll pay for it later. I'll pay for it later. And then later it comes like, oh, I have to pay for all this stuff I did 10 years ago. This sucks. Um, <laughs> the, bi the big thing is, for me at least, reduce your expenses as much as possible and try to maximize your income. And then it's that, it's that difference where you really start getting ahead. And that's what I'm currently focused on now. What would be the, your best piece of advice for someone who's trying to climb the ranks in their career? I think that really depends on whatever industry you're in. Uh, just realize that when you start off, you're going to be junior level. Uh, take that as an opportunity to learn. So a lot of people, and I hear younger guys do it all the time, and I used to do it too. Oh, I'm so much, I'm worth so much more than this. I add so much value. Why am I only getting paid this when I do all the work? And the boss doesn't know what he's doing. Well, your boss was in your position at one point too. So you kind of got to put in your dues. Uh, even when I was younger, I was always really good at reminding myself that, okay, I'm not here to necessarily take the company to the next level when you're in real junior type positions. I'm here to get an education. I'm getting paid to do so. So uh, just kind of shut up, put your head down, work, grind it out, pay your dues. And then at one point you wake up 10 years later and you realize, oh, I'm an expert in my space. And I never even realized that other people realize that they start calling you or this is a, this is where I screwed up uh, about mid-level of my career where I'd go into a job interview. Hey, what's your salary expectations? I'd throw out a number I thought was really big. And they're like, okay, yeah, we can do that. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm still selling myself short. And mm. even to today, I'll, I'll quote clients on stuff like, yeah, we're good. When can you start? And just like, oh, shit, should I have asked for more? So, uh, so you got to kind of figure out what your value is, how you show up in the organization, where your place in the pecking order is. But um, look for opportunities, obvious, obviously, to, to move up to. And 
this was advice that I actually got from a business coach years ago that I didn't realize as a kid. When I was younger, I used to think uh, the way to be successful in a corporate type career was the old American model where it's get on with a company, start at the ground level, work your way up. And then 30 years later, you'll be a C-level executive and you'll retire and they'll give you the Rolex and a pension and a pat on the back and a firm handshake and you'll be off on your merry little way. Doesn't really work like that anymore. It depends on your industry. Some industries are still like that, but most of them aren't, especially with everything being digital. I, I hate it when people ask me, okay, well, we saw it, we saw it 10 years ago, you had 12 jobs in the span of five years. Why is that? It's like, well, companies don't last that long. Most of these companies are underfunded or their goal is to be bought and sold by someone else. So I would have loved to stay with any of those companies, but the company didn't exist for more than a year. So that's kind of the world we live in. Um, a big thing too is the quickest way to increase your salary is by switching jobs, doing the three to 4% cost of living adjustment every year, which they call a raise, which it isn't because inflation is much higher than that. So you're actually getting demoted year over year. That's not the way to do it. And uh, again, this is a new way of thinking for me, but uh, I understand that you won't get rich on a salary alone. So that's why I'm doing more of the consulting type thing. It still technically looks like a salary. I get paid on a two week pay schedule. Um, you, but when you're 1099, you can take multiple clients. Um, and another thing I like to do is if I'm, if I'm entertaining multiple offers or taking on multiple clients, try to find things that are somewhat similar so you can, you can duplicate your efforts. So if I'm doing something for one person, I'm doing it across the board. So I don't have to do any repeat work. And that really helps out for me. So technically, I think you can get rich still on a salary, but try to do the multiple salaries. Try to sell yourself as a consultant, 1099. And then if you reduce your expenses as much as possible, then you end up with a surplus of cash, which... I'm in that point now, uh, especially because I think pretty much every asset class across every market's down. So I'm just hoarding cash right now. And then the minute an opportunity comes up, which it will, uh, then then I'll be able to pounce on it. Wow. These are gems. Holy cow. Oh, nice. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so in marketing, what are what is the biggest lesson that you've learned in this industry? In marketing in general? Yes. Uh, stay ahead on the technology. So the everything moves so fast these days. So if you started, if you start a job on day one and then you find yourself there three years later and you haven't done any continuing education and you haven't learned anything new, you're just kind of an automaton. You're doing the same thing day in and day out. Then the industry will pass you by. So this, this is something that occurred to me something like 10 years ago where I started keeping my eyes open at the emerging technologies. What are things people are talking about? Not, not things that people are talking about now that the mainstream's talking about because that means it was emerging two, three, maybe four or five years ago. What are the things that the nerds are talking about? What are the things that kind of have the people that are on the inside whispering and murmuring? Okay, yeah, well, what is this technology going to do? And then start to look ahead. Try to try to get ahead or get a lead on the market and put yourself in a position to where you're already there once the market catches up. So, for example, years ago, what was it? It was like 2012 or so. I started hearing the term fintech thrown around. I didn't know what that meant. I don't have a financial background. I don't know anything about banking or I'm not... I'm not a big investing type guy aside from just, just basic personal finance type strategies. But I heard this hot hot word starting to be thrown around. I was like, okay, well, I'll look into FinTech. I'll keep my eyes open. I'll start networking with people in this space. Uh, in that year, I interviewed for a junior level position with the firm in California. And then turns out a few, few years later, they somehow remembered me. They called me up and said, hey, do, do you want to come on at a managerial level? And that that was my first uh, six-figure gig. That was what, 20. 15, 16, 17, mid, 
mid 20 teens. Is that what we call them now? Uh, somewhere around there. <laughs> and, uh, and I went out there and really didn't know what I was doing in fintech. But it turns out that fintech was so new that everybody, once, once the investment dollars started getting in that space, everybody wanted a piece of fintech, but they didn't have any marketers that were necessarily experts in fintech because it was a brand new emerging industry. So I got in really early. And then after having spent a few years there, realized that, oh, I'm technically an expert in fintech just because once it started taking off and these starts, these types of firms or uh, industries or companies started coming up that, you know, I have two or three years experience at the time, but it's only been around for two or three years. So I think that would be my recommendation. Identify where your industry is going and don't don't let it kick you in the ass once it's too too late. Look where it's going and try to get ahead of there. So you're already there once the industry catches up and you'll put yourself in a nice position doing that. You mentioned uh, international marketing earlier. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the keys when it comes to marketing country to country? Yeah, the big thing internationally, there's a whole cultural element to it. And then obviously the the nature of being multiple languages. So for me, I always I was always interested in change management. I was always interested in intercultural type stuff. Uh, I have a master's degree in marketing and I wrote my thesis on the topic of uh, gringos in Mexico, which is appropriate because now there's tons of Americans coming down here. So uh, that, again, kind of got me a leg up. And the whole reason I learned Spanish was going back to that story. I was uh, growing up on the farm and realized, OK, well, I, I need this to be successful at this. But I remember at one point, and I was young too, I think I was 15 or 16, and I read something saying that the U.S. by 2030 was going to have a sizable Spanish-speaking population. As of today, or at least last time I checked, the U.S. is the second largest Spanish-speaking country in the world. We, we yeah. speak more Spanish in the States than Spain. And a lot yeah, of people don't realize that. Yep. Just, just by, by the millions. And uh, that was really interesting to me. So again, having that foresight, like, all right, where do I, where's, where's the world going to be 10 years from now? And how am I going to put myself in a position to capitalize on that? I never realized the COVID thing was going to happen. I knew that remote work was coming, but I didn't realize it was going to happen overnight like the way it did. Um, so I was already naturally in a position to, to capitalize on that. Having had my Mexico background almost 20 years ago now, that really put me in a position to where like, all right, well, this guy has software as a service startup. He has FinTech experience. Uh, he has done research in Mexico. He went to a good school in Mexico. He's a gringo who speaks Spanish. So these large international conglomerates or corporations that need to have work done in the Latin or uh, LATAM is what they call it, or Spanish-speaking market, well, I'm in a position to do so. And then in case anyone doubts it, I have done research at a graduate level that is published. So um so that really worked out well for me. So international marketing really, it's, I'd say it's the same as marketing anywhere, but you have to realize that the biggest thing is, especially for international type companies, is conveying the same message through a different channel and not a different channel in the technical marketing sense, like Facebook versus Twitter versus inbound versus outbound versus paid, what have you. But in the sense that you're dealing with a different culture and a different language. A good example I used to always give uh, years ago, they'll teach you in marketing 101 classes that the, the Chevy Nova, they tried to release it in Mexico, but Nova in Spanish means doesn't go. So it was a complete flop. So just little things like that, that people that are outside of the space may not pay attention to. You have to be really dialed into those those subtle nuances interculturally. Man, I wanted to learn Spanish for the longest time, but it always gave me trouble in middle school and high school and it made me not like it. But I love Spanish women so much. And it seems They're nice. Like, yo, for real. And it seems like 
it, it would be so beneficial. I, I've been thinking about really like tuning in and learning Spanish. I did not know we're second. Oh my, I knew it would be a big advantage for me, but I just felt like maybe the juice wouldn't be worth the squeeze. But after this conversation, man, I might need to really get serious about it. Well, at one point I was thinking too, so let's say that there's two equally qualified job candidates, everything being the same. Yeah. What is what is what is my plus one? What is my kicker? What is my wild card? Okay, we're, we're all the same qualifications. And I've hired people too. A lot of times you get a stack of resumes in, they all look the same. Yeah. For me personally, it's like, all right, who can I potentially hang out with if we have to go out of town for a weekend? Or if our, if our plane goes down in a snowstorm and we have to make an emergency landing, who can I share a crappy hotel room with? That, that's who I'm going to hire. But for me, the thought went through my head, okay, well, I need, I need something that gives me just a little bit of a leg up, all things being equal. So, all right, speaking Spanish. And, uh, and that, that ended up working really well for me. Also going back to middle school. Yeah, I was terrible. I was terrible at Spanish in middle school and high school too. I don't think they teach the language that well. So when I first came to Mexico, I learned it really quickly and it really surprised me, but, uh, I had played a lot of music as a kid and I had learned multiple instruments. I did a bit of singing when I was really younger. So when I was actually down here, in contact day to day with the host culture i took an approach of learning it like music i, I am a bit of a nerd so I, I took two weeks and really got the grammar down just memorized it i memorized it like a structure and then i started seeing i started seeing a lot of similarities between spanish and english and then you learn okay well if this is a latin root word then this is how it shows up in english this is how it shows up in spanish and i made a list of conversions so i didn't really have to learn the language per se i just know in my head that okay this word converts to that a good example is education in English. Anywhere that ends in a T-I-O-N in English ends in C-I-O-N with an accent over the O uh, in Spanish. So education, educación, foundation, fundación. Uh, the F-O-U changes to, you drop the O, it goes to a U. So you learn all of these little tricks. And when you do that, you get like 50, 60% of the language down. And then the rest of it's just ear training. And I employed a process I did when I learned instruments when I was a kid. It's really train that ear, be able to identify the note, visualize it, and then replicate the, the note. So I approach Spanish in three different ways. The ear training, the intellectual uh, academic part, as far as how the words go together, how you, how you form sentences and structures and thoughts, and then how you translate that to physically reproducing the sounds. So um, that is how I recommend most people learn language. Uh, at one point, I mentioned that I stayed in Guadalajara for two years after I studied there for two years. I actually reverse engineered that process and then taught Mexican business executives English. And wow. we had a 30 day advanced uh, Spanish to English program that we sold. And we did pretty well with that, with that methodology. Uh, it, it had nothing to do with, oh, okay, repeat after me or study all these boring books or put these diagrams together. It was just, uh, it was just a list of conversions, the ear training component, and then how to physically train the mouth to produce the sounds. And when you work, when you study those in parallel and then you put them together, you learn the language pretty quick. There's been there's been so many jobs that I've been applying for that says like bilingual needed like yeah. so many things and I'm like wow so it, it seems to be more and more relevant man I maybe I gotta stop ducking and dodging <laughs> yeah try it out and I always I always say this to guys too uh, especially going to the dating topic when I go to places like Miami you'll see shows on the internet where like oh all these Miami chicks are thoughts or they're terrible they're low quality or a bunch of whores or what have you. And I always think, God, if these poor guys knew a little bit of Spanish, there are a ton of Colombians and Venezuelans in Miami. Yeah, you'll get the class where they they want to they want to date the rappers and sports athletes and what have you. But there's plenty of just normal girls that only speak Spanish, and 
there's no guys going after him. So when I go to places like Miami, I do pretty well. Uh, I don't have to compete with the girls that are going after the rappers because I, I can't compete with them. Yeah. But the girl who lives in, lives with her mom and dad and she's in her early 20s and she doesn't know anything about the U.S. and she's bored and she's brand new and she doesn't understand what the lay of the land is. Well, a guy like me is perfect for that. I can show her around and we can converse and we can have fun and I understand her culture. So it really just eliminates the competition if you're able to get that language down. It's hard to spit game when you only know a handful of phrases, man. <laughs> it is. I have a lot of visitors down here and like they, they do really well and the girls admire the effort. But when, when you have those linguistic skills there, you can hit them at a different level. You can make the puns. You can make the jokes. You can you can get them thinking one thing and then quickly switch it to another and create that dissonance in their head. And they're like, oh, ha, 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 that builds attraction. Uh, it's hard to do that when I was like, oh, hola, me llamo Jaren. <laughs> and then smile like she'll be attracted to you physically but you can't really get to that deeper yeah. level that you need to yeah wow man i might have to really look into that get some rosetta stone definitely do yeah it'll give you a leg up on the competition and you'll you'll have a good time so why do you, why do you recommend that men attach their instagram to their tinder profile yeah, so being a digital marketer, I look at everything in terms of stages. So uh, the analogy I give, if you take like a marketing 101 class, they give you an acronym called AIDA, which is attention, in interest, decision, action. And at the top of that is A. So what the dating apps do, they get her attention. You upload your cool photos, maybe you fill out your profile, maybe you have like a cool playlist. But really, let's be honest, she's just looking at your photos. Is he hot? Is he not? Swipe right, swipe left. Uh, that's that's the attention phase. Now to build the interest, you got to take it a step deeper. And the way I, I run my marketing teams, for example, the more interest they show is the more information you give them. So I kind of follow that same logical process. She sees me on Tinder. Oh, this, this guy looks like he could be fun. Then she goes to the Instagram. And a lot of girls, they do their due diligence these days. They will do their digging. They will go through your photos. They will look at your comments. They will see who's following you. I've had girls hit me up. Hey, what? Hey, are you still hanging out with that Tijuana girl? Oh, are you still hanging out with that girl from Cuernavaca? Oh, did you go to Puebla? Oh, who's this girl? The only way you would know this is if you really stalked my Instagram. And it's not like these girls are leaving comments. You're, they're making inferences. They're playing MacGyver or a, or a detective trying to figure out who I'm talking to, who I'm banging, who I'm potentially uh, flirting with as a dating prospect. And girls have this it's a six or seven cents it's something built in so instagram is important for that because it gives her a lot more information but you're not you're not explicitly telling her she's making the inferences and when it comes to game in general it, you know the guy that comes up like hey my name's jaren i'm really successful uh i go to the gym every day i drive a sports car and i travel and i'm really fun you should go out with me like that doesn't work but if you tell a really compelling story or you drop her breadcrumbs and then she comes to these conclusions on her own, or mm -hmm. I, I always say, leave the girl wondering, they're like, who the hell is this guy? The tone doesn't matter either. Sometimes the girl's like, who the hell is this guy? And she pissed off you. Doesn't matter. She's still intrigued by you. But in the digital, in the digital space or digitally mediated communication, how do you do that? You're not physically in front of her. So I set my dating apps and Instagram up as a system, the same way I would for a corporate client. So it would be akin to you search for something on Google, uh, how to how to make perfectly cooked rice. I make terrible rice. And then there's an ad that comes up. Oh, this awesome rice cooker. Well, I'm not ready to buy a rice cooker yet, but I'll click on the ad and check it out. And then it takes you to a landing page. And the landing page has the videos. Here's the pain parts. Are you tired of sticky rice, mushy rice, crappy rice, crispy rice, burnt rice? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, this is for you. And then boom, the solution. 
that's how I visualize the dating world. So Tinder would be like the Google ad where, hey, it's eight o'clock on a Friday night. I'm bored. My plans fell through. What am I going to do? Oh, here's this gringo. He looks pretty attractive. And then she clicks to the Instagram. Oh, he plays guitar. Oh, he's living in California. Oh, he lived in Texas too. Oh, it looks like he plays in sports. Oh, he goes to the gym. He's in pretty good shape. Oh, he has dogs. Oh, oh, there's a baby in that photo. Does he have kids? I wonder if he has kids. Oh, who are these other people? Oh, those are siblings. Is he the oldest? Is he the youngest? You, you, you get that in the red pill space, they call it, you get that hamster spinning. You get that hamster caffeinated to where it builds intrigue to where she is more interested in meeting up with you because you're giving her this image of what a potential date with you would be like. And I consider dates that the girls are shopping for experiences. So Instagram just gives them a preview of that. A lot of guys use it as a critique or a criticism that, oh, Instagram's just the highlights of your life. Yes, that, that is entirely the point. It's like a movie preview. Oh, the preview only has the good parts of the movie. Yes, that's that's absolutely, that, that's why it's a preview. Um, so you want to follow kind of the, the same philosophy there. And that that's, that's the way that I visualize it in my head. And I think that naturally came about just as an extension of that being what I do for a living. So I realized I got, I started optimizing the dating apps. And then at one point I realized, well, okay, I'm getting the interest. I'm getting the attention, but I need a landing page. And then from the landing page, I need to take it to this next step. And so in my head, I've mapped it out into a bunch of marketing sequences and it largely just kind of manages it itself. So I, I built a, my friends always joke that I have an inbound Mexican pussy funnel, which I don't know if you can <laughs> say that. My friends always joke that I have an inbound dating funnel. If you need to cut that. Uh, <laughs> And that's just that's just naturally how my mind works. I think by virtue of what I do for a living. So you seem to do at least be doing fairly well with women. So how do you make sure that they're not a distraction in your life? That is really tough at times. Uh, so I I build a flexible schedule. I hired a business coach a couple of years ago. I paid him like ten thousand dollars for the year, and at the time I'm like, oh, that's a lot of money. But he taught me some new ways of thinking that really really helped me out in that sense. Uh, an activity we did. Well, we did a couple activities. Going back to that question of how do guys find their purpose? The first activity is uh, do a stream of consciousness free write for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever about your life. From the day you're born to where you are now, don't think about it. Just just let it all come out. Then you may, then you sleep on it, take a day, review it the next day. And then it's like, okay, well, th this is who I consider myself to be in this moment. And the next activity is if you're a superhero for a day or if you were the a uh, star actor in your own movie, or if you were the hero video game character, what would your future look like? You have unlimited powers, you're omnipotent, you can do whatever you want. And then it's it's a creative writing exercise. Yeah. You do that at that point too. And then eventually you realize, okay, well, here's my past as I defined it. Here's where I am in this moment. And then in a very small, finite amount of time. And then in the future, what does the future look like? And then you realize, oh my God, I can create my own story. So that that helps me to identify really what the most more important things are in my life. Uh, location independence is big for me. Getting closer with my family is big for me. Developing other areas of my life was big for me. Um, getting my finances together because finances equal freedom more than anything. That was really big to me. How do I do this? And um, then we went more to the tactical standpoint was uh, an activity that I really like and I give to my coaching clients is how to plan your perfect day. What does your perfect day look like? And it goes back to activity, the minimalist mindset mapping of get rid of all the things you don't like. Anything you don't like doing where you're like, ah, oh, shit, I have to do this again. You can outsource that. So perfect day for me, it was uh, an hour going to the gym, eating healthy, uh, playing guitar at least an hour a day. I like to go for walks. Uh, when I was in California, I had sports cars. So I'd go for a drive here in Mexico. You don't really need it. So I go for a walk or a bike ride. And then, uh, and then, getting laid, obviously. That's something I really enjoy doing. For me, a perfect day is eating a healthy meal, 
kicking ass at work, going to the gym, playing guitar for an hour and getting laid. So then you look at your day. You only have 24 hours in a day. You need you need some of that for sleep. Um, a lot of people say, oh, I have to get eight hours of sleep, nine hours of sleep, 10 hours or whatever it is. It's actually more on sleep cycles, which are usually about 90 minutes. So I need at least 6.5 hours of sleep, maybe, or, or no, yeah, I'm doing my math wrong. I need at least six hours of sleep or 7.5 hours of sleep. If I wake up at hour seven, I'll probably be a little bit groggy because I didn't complete that full 90 minute work cycle. So factor in your sleep, that's already taken out of your day. And then block in the things that are important to you. So for me, gym, I have to get a workout every day, but I don't need to spend three or four hours in the gym like I did in college. I can really reduce and condense my workouts. And going back to the focus question, okay, let me spend a three month period of really drilling into my workouts where I can get the most gains, so to speak, or the, the most results out of it for the least amount of effort. And then once you get that down, I could fit my gym into an hour block. That includes me thinking about the gym, getting a protein shake, getting my bag packed, putting my clothes on, walking to the gym, doing the workout, walking home, showering up, being done. That, that takes an hour time block. If I go to the apartment gym, not as nice as the regular gym I go to. I could I can get that done in half an hour. So really, I, I'm not I'm not taking any shortcuts. I'm still I'm still working out pretty hard, but my rest times, they don't need to be a minute or two. They can be they can be 20 to 40 seconds. And then once your cardio starts getting good, okay, well, I don't really need to rest at all. It's a hell of a workout, but your body acclimates. So I started thinking in terms of that, it literally, when I opened my calendar, how to, how to optimize my day, how to get the most out of the least amount of effort. And mm. that really, that really helps me out. And then I do, uh, like when, when I diet, I, I uh, approach like a flexible dieting type thing where, okay, if it fits your macros, obviously, if you want to be shredded, you need to clean up your food sources. But like, I'm at my walking around weight right now. Okay, I can, I can eat like a cookie or a donut or a pizza every now and then, but it has to fall into my weekly caloric allowance. It has to fit my overall macros for whatever my goal set is. And I, I, I applied that mentality to my schedule. So, okay, uh, I need to do two hours of phone calls today. I need to do an hour of the gym. I need to do an hour of guitar, um, maybe half an hour, half an hour of cooking. All of my meals are super easy. I have all of my bases. I broke my meals down into here's, here's my proteins, here's my carbs, here's my fats. And then whatever I want, it's really just mixing those together. Save the seasoning for the end. You can really add variety to your meals. So um, again, I'm a, I'm a systems theory guy. So I, I approached it like that, kind of like how an engineer does. That's why I use terms like be the architect of your own life, because it requires you to get really tactical at that. Uh, when it comes to getting laid, uh, same thing. I've got my standard sequences. Most of the girls, uh, my funnel is fairly automated. There, there are times where you got to put in you got to put in messages to move them through the stages, but I've got it down to a point where it's it's pretty optimized. Uh, very early in the conversation, I know what bucket to put her into. I know what follow-up track to put her into to in terms of texting or if there needs to be a phone call or what to say. And it gets to the point where just like any system in my life, it kind of just becomes second nature. So in terms of not getting distracted, uh, girls have various schedules, especially down in Mexico. They're not uh, they're not as punctual in a lot of countries outside of the U.S. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure you've probably heard about that. And uh, so for me, my schedule is somewhat flexible. Like today, um, I wake up and I think, well, when do I want to go to the gym? I can go to the gym at eight o'clock. I can go to the gym at noon. I can go to the gym at five. I can go to the gym at eight. Okay, perfect. Now, if I do that, when am I going to eat? I normally eat at the end of the day. It's usually the last thing I do. I do intermittent fasting just because it saves a lot of time. It's really what it is. So uh, in terms of streamlining my life, I actually had a girl come over today. She told me to uh, order her the Uber at two. Turns out she lives way the hell far away. So she got here at 3.30. So in the time she was in the Uber, I was thinking too, mentally mapped out my day for that. Well, in that hour and a half, what do I do there? 
my computer was screwing up on a call earlier. So I completely redid the computer, cleaned it up, installed the new uh, OS X, uh, scanned everything, checked all the connections, did that whole troubleshooting phase, and then realized, okay, well, this is something that needs to be done. And it's something I can do now because I now have this hour and a half time block to where I don't have to wait till tomorrow morning. I don't have to wait till later tonight when I get off the call with you or uh, if my buddy wanted to go out, I think he's out eating dinner right now with some friends. Um, so it's really just thinking in terms of your schedule. And this is hard if you have a nine to five, I get it because someone else owns your time. But when you own your own time, you can think in terms of, okay, in your morning audits, here are the things I need to get done in the day. What does that look like? And for me, I mentally visualize just blocks. And then you just move the blocks around like, okay, well, I had a call this morning that got canceled. Well, it looks like I have an hour and a half. Well, I can go get a workout in. And that frees up and that frees up the hour time block later in the afternoon. So what can I do there? Well, now I can fit a girl in. Usually for girls, I give them like a three-hour time block if they're during the day. Um, it's usually a lot quicker because a lot of them, they're working you into their schedule as well. Um, and then if it's later at night, then I'll usually just tell them like, Hey, bring some PJs or something. Uh, I start my shutdown sequence at 8 PM my time typically, which is me. I like to smoke. So I'll, I'll smoke a J I'll play guitar for an hour. Usually, usually a girl's involved in those activities. If not, it's whatever. Um, and then I'll, I'll cook or I'll order some food. I'll eat and I'll unwind and I'll go to bed. So my day usually looks pretty much the same in terms of what needs to be done. Um, if I have to be flexible to squeeze a girl in, I can certainly do that. Or if it's at the end of the day, then I just invite her into my normal activities, which on my Tinder profile, I literally put uh, seeking fun fit chick for 420 snacks and snuggles. That That is my line. It's there in the description. A finger pointing to my Instagram. If they ask, hey, what are we going to do? 420 snacks and snuggles. Where are we going? My house. So like, where do you live? I live in a really nice neighborhood. So you drop the name like, oh, OK, yeah, that's cool. And you just overcome all those obstacles. Got you. So the system that you have set up, was that done through a life coach or you did most of that legwork by yourself? Uh, that's mostly that's mostly me going about it. Uh, that's just the way wow. my brain works. Yeah, my uh, you, people, might a lot people, you might. <laughs> I think I I think I do. Yeah. When I was a, wow. when I was 100 pounds overweight as a kid, I didn't have a lot of friends. So I was kind of the uh, the nerd or the dork. And that's just how I did everything. I, I breezed through school, breezed through everything I did. And that was really just my brain identifying inefficiencies and trying to move them as much as possible. And I think a lot of that could be culture and upbringing too. My, my mom's parents, I grew up on a farm when my parents split and mm -hmm. my granddad did a lot of the raising. Uh, they're, they're German immigrants. So just Germans had that stereotype being super stiff and robotic. And I think, mm -hmm. I think a lot of that was probably passed on to me without me realizing it. That's just kind of the way their brains work. They make a damn good car, but uh, <laughs> they, they can be a little stiff at times. Do you think being overweight and isolated now set up your character in a good way or do you feel like to some degree you might be overcompensating for the kid that you once were because i hear that happens a lot where you were you were fat and now you grow up you have money and now you're kind of splurging a little bit i'd say yes and no i think it was a good thing in the sense that i had to develop a personality so i had a buddy in california one time he's like bro you're the funny kid when you're younger right he's like because the fat kids are always funny it's like yeah yeah he kind of had to be yeah because you can't get by on your looks like like fat people aren't attractive i hate to break the news i know it breaks the internet and people say that but like being over being obese is not attractive so you're not gonna have girls looking your way you're not gonna have a lot of guy friends um Luckily, I was I was pretty strong too, so I didn't really get bullied. Uh, a couple of guys would try, but when you have a hundred extra pounds on you and you're strong, you can you can end that very quickly. Let's just say that. Um, 
So you had to develop a bit of a personality. Um, I had to do really well academically. So I think that helps me in the long run. But I noticed that well into my 20s and even a bit into my early 30s, I would tell myself these stories like, oh, I'm a former fat kid or, oh, I can't do that. I used to be fat. And then mm. I realized it's like one day I just had this epiphany where, yeah, it was a couple of years ago. I got to the point where I realized I've been fitter longer than I've been fatter. So I really can't hold on to the former fat kid identity anymore. I lost the weight when I was 16, 17 years old. So I've been in the gym for, for quite a while, going on 20 years now. I'm no longer a fat kid. And for me, I really had to focus on dropping that identity as the former fat kid. I still joke around about it. I do the intermittent fasting. My buddy's staying with me here for a couple of days. He's a former fat kid too. So he he also does the fasting. So we feast, but they're really good, healthy, whole grain. I don't need a lot of carbs, but um, uh, good quality food sources. And you can, if you cram in two pounds of chicken, you're, you're going to be full. It's not a lot of calories, a lot of protein, but you're going to be full. That is a lot of food. So I always joke that, uh, for the longest time, I think I still had kind of a personality hang up in my 20s that, OK, I have to kill the former fat kid or I have to kill the fat kid part of me. And then once I realized, well, I'm, I'm not a fat guy anymore, I'm a fit guy, um, but I have fat kid tendencies. Well, don't try to kill the fat kid. You feed the fat kid and then do it in a way that makes sense to where, again, you can maintain a pretty decent physique. Uh, for me now, it's more general health that I'm focused on since I'm getting into my mid 30s. Uh, and, and just approach it that way. But I, I do think there is some negativity in terms of the mental hangouts of, of guys or girls that have been obese before. Got you. Wow. This yeah. is some very good stuff. You're so, asking some damn good questions, by the way. Yeah, I, I I'm enjoying this. Journalism. I have a degree in journalism, man. It's my thing. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Do you Do you want to get married one day? That is a good question. I'm not too sure I, I think getting married in the sense how most people understand it with the two-way two monogamy model in the u.s in the court systems i think that's a risky proposition uh the way i see it is you really get married to have kids um so which leads to the question do i want to have kids i think the answer for that is yes so once i get to that point in the chapter of my life where i realize okay yes i definitely want to have kids this is how i want to do it then i'll have to approach that question if I want, I want to get married or not. But uh, I tell guys all the time on my channel, because a lot of guys think when I talk about online dating or dating in general, they say, oh, you're, oh, you're, you're using the girl or you're leading her on. And I have to remind these guys, like not all girls are out there on dating apps wanting to get married. So, some girls just want to get fucking slammed down. Like that, that, that don't make the assumption that everyone's out there looking to get married. But when that time comes, if I decide, Hey, I need to find someone to be the mother of my kids. Well, then the criteria changes a bit. The approach will change a bit. So um, I'm not sure if if marriage will be the answer. If I do want to have kids, I realize that marriage isn't really necessary. Or if I do want to do it, I'd consider doing it in a different country too, where they don't have crazy incentives to break up the marriages or split up families. Um, divorce isn't too common down here in Mexico. I do know people, girls and guys are divorced, but it's all amicable because they don't they don't have the thing where, okay, one the couple or the person who earns more has to pay alimony to the other person or you have to maintain lifestyle. They don't do any of that stuff. So it's more of a co-parenting type model. Um, so, so yes and no, I'm not, I'm not too sure on, on that question. I appreciate the fact that you're not totally against marriage because a lot of people in the red pill space, they're like the most against it. It's crazy. Like there's no it, it at all. Yeah, it has to make sense from, from a risk assessment standpoint. But I'm also getting to the point too, Rev. I, 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 
I feel that I've had enough experience in my dating life to where you can, you, you can kind of start to figure out who the good ones are and who the bad ones are. And that, that just comes down to having more data points the, with anything. The more, the more reps you get in, the more shots you get in, you start to, you start to know what, what things look like. All right. I have two questions left. All right. All right let's do it. We're almost there. What is the most important lesson that you've learned about women? Ooh, the most important lesson that I've learned about women. Um, I don't know if this answer would necessarily be about women as much as it would be about guys when going back to guys getting hung up with dating. But I always noticed that the, the women I have in my life, they're an extension of me. So when I was younger and I didn't do as well with women, I never had a problem with women. But I think going back to that former fat kid mentality, I think I put a lot of mental roadblocks in the way that women would pick up on. And uh, they would reflect that back to me. And then, so for example, if you think all women are going to cheat on me, well, guess what? You are going to subconsciously attract women. They're going to cheat on you. Mm. If you think that I genuinely believe that I have good experiences with women and it turns out I have good experiences with women. I enjoy their company and in me enjoying their company, they pick up on that and they reflect that back to me and they enjoy my company and it makes my experiences more, more positive, which makes their experience more positive. And it creates a positive feedback loop to where, in general, I'll say stuff on my channel and guys are like, no, 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 there's no way you're full of shit. That, that, that's not, it's impossible. It's like, well, it's impossible for you because you can't wrap your head around it. You haven't had that experience before. And I used to be there at one point. So I think really whatever you put out there in terms of your relationship, it's going to get right back to you. Um, another thing I noticed too, that women are amplifiers. So if you're a guy, you're mm -hmm. pissed off all the time. If you're a loser, if you're drinking, if you're on drugs, if what, whatever hangups you have, then that girl will amplify that and she'll throw that out into the world on your behalf. So you got to be real careful with that. Again, going back to me, I, I, I feel like I'm in a really good point in life. So when I go out in public, my women amplify that to people around me. And uh, that's one thing that I've, I've definitely noticed recently. When you say amplifier, you mean that like they, whatever you show them, they reflect and take it to uh, a like, bigger level? So I'm thinking more in terms of a social social situation. So if I if I go into an interaction like a group of guys, or just let's say it's just a mixed company group, and I have a really good looking girl on my arm who's lockstep with me, she's in my frame, she's on the same page as me. Um, I'll play little mini games with girls too. So for so I'll tell them before we go out, okay, here's the guy I want to talk to. Okay, this guy this guy's a potential client. This guy has a thing against me. This guy I'm not too sure. I'm going to get a read on him. I'll actually lay out the night in terms of, okay, what's the goal? What are we looking to get out of this night? And I'll cast her in a role. Hey, what do you want to be? Do you want to be like a private detective? Do you want to be an undercover agent? Do you want to do this or that? And then gamify the experience. And then I roll out. I, I used to do this at company parties when I was still living in California, roll out with a girl. And it's like, Hey, what's the goal set? Like, I don't necessarily know what it looks like, but for now we have layoffs coming. And on Monday, the accountant, the accounting team is going to look at this spreadsheet and see all these salaries and be like, who the hell is this Jaron guy? I don't want them to think who the hell is this Jerry guy and be like, oh, 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 that's the guy with the girl. Um, so put that out there. And then we go out to the party and we just have fun. And in that sense, I mean, that I view my girls as an extension of me too, but we do have shared goals and values in those moments. So she's a reflection of you. She's an extension of you. But me alone walking into a room with a bunch of important people in suits yeah, I think from an academic level, from an intellectual level, I, I could probably stand out a bit, but it takes a lot more to get their attention. But when I walk in with a busty, badass Venezuelan and all the guys in the room, their head swivels, and she is on my arm, she's lockstep in me, she is representing me, and she's going to bat for me, 
then then cool things happen. So uh, that, that was actually a real story. I actually took two girls to a company party one time. I was like, you know what, fuck it. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. And uh, Monday morning, God, everyone at work, like, oh, hey, Jaron, what's up? What's up? And it, it, But in, in my head, because I'm a nerd, in my head, the whole goal was, I don't want people to see my name on, on a budget reduction sheet and be like, who the hell is that guy? What does he do? We're paying him how much? Why? Um, now, Monday morning, it's just, oh, hey, hey, how's it going? And Turns out the uh, chief investment officer of that company is like, dude, I like Latin women too. I'm dating this Argentinian chick way younger than me. I'm having some trouble. And he ended up being my gym buddy. They used to give me a hard time going to the gym. Look, you go to the gym every day at lunch. I'm like, well, I don't drink and I don't smoke. Everyone else goes and gets, everyone else goes and gets drinks. I, I go to the gym and I come back and I'm, when everyone else is crashing at 2 PM, I'm, I'm full of energy. So what's the deal? Well, it turns out from that company party, the guy's like, Hey, I'm dating this Argentinian girl. I'm having troubles with her. I was like, dude, you got to get in the gym. You're out of, out of shape. So when your gym buddy's the CIO of the company, you get extra favors, you get extra opportunities. All of a sudden you don't get passed over for travel opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start, they start assigning you really cool projects. So if you look at it that way, is your women being a reflection of you? So if you're having bad experiences, look back at you, it might be you. Um, and an extension of you, and by extension being an amplifier of you, like, okay, I want to be known in this firm. I had been there for a couple of years at that point, but that one night at the company party, sharing the goals, getting her in your frame, all of a sudden it really amplified my presence in the firm because people noticed like, oh, you're, oh, you're that guy. You're the dude. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I refer to by that. I know that's, a, that's somewhat of a drawn out answer. Oh, I get it. It's, it's basically like um, you, you you set the tone and they kind of exemplify that almost. Well, yeah. And in general, I think women want to be led. Um, a lot of them will say they don't. Uh, but or even even your like go girl, corporate boss bitch type girls, at the end of the day, they're still being led by someone. They're being led by the C-level. They're being led by the board of investors. They're being led by the shareholders. So they're still falling, falling into someone else's framework. So I like to create fun frameworks for girls to fall into to where we both win at the end of the day. And even if we don't win, we're just having fun in the meantime. And by creating those shared experiences together, I've noticed that the the quality of my relationships are much better. And then the effects of those relationships as the as I view the world responding to our energy, um, it's it's been a lot more positive too. How did you get two good looking Latin girls to go with you? both of them weren't Latin. So one of them was Latin and the other one was a really pretty blonde girl in San Diego with blue eyes. And uh, the big thing was I worked for a private investment firm and uh, I pretty much sold them on the fact like, Hey, there's gonna be a lot of important dudes there. You don't, don't be like making out dudes in the bathroom or anything. Don't make me look like an asshole. But in terms of the, the Latin girl was actually a main girl at the time, but the, but the white girl was like, Hey, here's your opportunity to network with guys that you might want to date. These guys, they have a lot of money and they have a lot of prestige and they have a lot of pull. So that's how I kind of sold it. Like, Hey, these are important people. I'll get you in the room with them tonight. You're going to play this role. But after that, any contacts you make or whatever, if it can further your life, further your career, whatever. So I took more of like kind of a networking approach. Uh, my Latin girl is my main girl. So she was lost at me, but the, uh, yeah, the San Diego girl, yeah, California girls, a lot of them are like this, like, Hey, there's a bunch of people and they have boats and they 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 go to really fancy places and they have a condo in New York and okay, yeah, yeah, I'll go. So that, that's that's how I sold the San Diego girl on that one. And the main girl was cool with that idea? Uh yeah, yeah, she was actually real cool with that. Um the, it was the San Diego girl that started getting jealous, actually. But uh, but at least for that night, she was good. She was just on good behavior. And it, and it was one of those things too, where you tell these girls, hey, I want you to go out and 
all the attention is going to be on you and we're going to eat really good food and you're going to meet really cool people. Like, okay, yeah, that's what, what else am I going to do tonight? And I, I think it was a company party. I think it was during the week. I don't think it was like a Saturday night or anything. Got you. This, this is great. My final question. Finally, we're here. Yep. <laughs> all right. So when you look back at your life when you're 90 years old, what is, what is an accomplishment that you would like to have done that will make you feel like you fulfilled your life's purpose? That is a really good question. And actually, I started thinking in these terms, uh, my younger sister is a nurse. And I remember at one point, she told me, uh, she started her career as an ICU nurse. So unfortunately, she sees a lot of people in their last days. And she told me at one point, she said, Jaren, there's two types of people. She's like, I I experience a lot of death. And she's super Christian. So it's a perfect job for her. She likes to be there. She's got that, you know, when you meet like a genuine good Christian person, they just have that energy. So she's one of those people. But uh, she told me, she's like, Jaren, when uh, People are in their last days, she's like, I see two types of people. There's the people that are in there alone. They have fear in their eyes. They have regret. They're anxious. They're nervous. Like, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I didn't live life. Yeah. And she said, there's other people where they're just kind of like, all right, my time's come. I'm rolling out. Peace. Uh, I'm sure they don't say it, those are the exact words. But she said, those are the two types of attitudes she sees uh, when people are in their last days. And she, she asked me, just point blank, which one of those two do you want to be? She's like, oh, okay, well, now I have to start thinking. Uh, so that's where I started thinking along the lines of uh, living and loving life. Don't let it pass you by. I swear I swear to God, I'll wake up and have memories of when I was five years old and it feels like it was yesterday. I was like, no, it's 30 years ago. Like time just goes and it, we're, we're all going to meet our maker someday. It's going to end a lot quicker than we know it. So yes. for me, it's just really having, I try to have a positive influence on everyone with whom I interact. I know that's tough with mm-hmm. some of the con- the types of topics I cover and the the type of uh, the types of topics I put out there. But I, I when I see that kind of stuff, I know that there's a lot of people out there hurting. So it's it's hard when we talk about these things like, oh, who the hell does this guy think he is? But it doesn't matter. I'm not going to break through to everyone. But if I can get through to someone, and I've already had guys, my channel is pretty new. I've already had guys like, hey man, like you said something that really resonated with me, and I was really thinking of taking the easy way out. And for me, that was kind of a wake up call. It was a bit sobering to the point like. Oh my God, I'm, I'm having an impact, even if it's a small impact, but it goes back to one of my core principles of like, leave, leave the world a better place than you found it. And even if that's just barely pushing the needle forward, the world needs to be slightly a better place for me having existed in it. So for me, that's, that's what I consider success. And obviously I'd like, I'd like to amplify that. I'd like to get that out to more people. But when I'm 90 years old, I'm looking back at my life. I want to see a life well lived, uh, other lives touched and know that when I go that my legacy or my spirit will live on through the impact I've had on other people. Dope. That's a fire answer right there. Well, Mr. Nice. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. I was just saying, yeah, nice. I, I'm trying to figure out exactly what, what that is, but that's, that's what it looks like to me. This has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to me. It means a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, and if you need other, if you need other people to interview, um, I'm involved in some private communities too. There's other guys I collaborate with. I'll send them over to you because you actually you did your research and you asked really good questions. I, I really quite enjoyed it. Please do, man. Oh my goodness, I I I I uh, DM Rich Cooper, but you know he's not. I have to put in the work first, so I understand that. I understand that. Which I I wouldn't have any other way. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but some of the other riches guys uh, that I work with, um, that, that I'm sure they'd love to come on and interview with you because we're we're kind of all starting up at, at about the same point. So I, I think I've noticed that's how the, the new content creators start breaking out is when they all start collaborating with each other and, and share the love and approach it like a joint type effort. Absolutely. Please send them my way. 
Yeah, I definitely will. Yeah, I'll put you in contact with my buddy Moff. And then another guy, he's based out of L.A. He's really good at the social game. Uh, his name's Josh Beasley, renegade wingman. And uh, he's really good, too. But I'll, I'll shoot their contact information and let them know. Got it.